Chances are, at some point, uh, I'm willing to bet most of us here have attended a wedding. Um, Well, whenever my wife Krista and I attend a wedding, Krista loves watching the reactions of the groom throughout uh, the ceremony. And then afterwards, she always talks about it to me. She has lots to say. She tells me all the great things she saw that that were just so wonderful to her. So now when I go to a wedding... I am tuned into the groom. I'm watching what he's doing. I'm tracking um, his, his, uh, just, just his body language and his expressions. I'm just watching what he's doing throughout the ceremony. And let me tell you, watching a groom and his reactions throughout a wedding ceremony really is a remarkable thing. I mean, he's up there in front of all his friends, all his family. And this nervous excitement is just sort of running through him. Maybe his palms are a bit sweaty, so he's wringing his hands together and he's taking these deep breaths every once in a while and he's kind of rocking back and forth in anticipation and every once in a while this random just ear-to-ear smile just sort of takes over his face and then I think he realizes how goofy he might be looking, so he tries to, tries to dim it down a little bit. Uh, so he is super excited. Most oftentimes, he has dated this girl. He has fallen in love with this girl. He has asked this girl to be his wife. They have gone through this engagement uh, together. Lots of time and energy and money planning this day, this moment. And now here he is, up in front of everyone in his tuxedo, about to covenant himself to his bride. It's the big day. He's super, super excited. And then it happens, right? The music starts to play, the congregation rises, and you can almost see his heart to to begin beating faster through his tux. The doors open and there she is, in her white dress looking more beautiful and radiant than he has ever seen her before, and his face just lights up. And throughout this ceremony, while taking this woman to be his wife, he is so evidently overwhelmed with joyful emotion. It's emotional, it's joyful, he's excited. And I remember being there. I remember being up front in front of all my friends and family in my tux, with my heart pounding, my my palms sweating, so excited. Then the music plays. My beautiful bride comes walking down the aisle to me, It's this emotional experience unlike anything I've ever encountered before. And as wonderful and as special as that moment is for a groom, we know that he will not be in that place emotionally for the entire length of his marriage. So this important question arises. When all the excitement and all the emotion of that moment blends into the normalcy of everyday life, And he is covenanted with this person for all their days on earth together. And the the excitement of that day is contrasted to the challenges, the daily challenges of every other day. What does it look like to be a godly husband to her? How do you honor Jesus and honor your wife as a godly husband? Well, thankfully, God doesn't just leave us hanging, fellas, to figure it out on our own. He cares so much about our role as a husband. He cares so much about the way we treat our wives 
that He provides us with the instruction we need. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 30. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 30. And God's Word reads, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. Now, Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians living in the city of Ephesus. It was probably, most probably, read aloud in house churches uh, to mixed groups of people, both married people, unmarried people, husbands, wives, whoever. So we're taking part in this long, rich tradition today and receiving this instruction together, knowing that whether you are married or not, a husband or not, you can profit from this portion of God's Word. And throughout the letter, Paul highlights just some major, vital, foundational truths for us as Christians. He makes it very clear that Jesus has redeemed sinners, reconciling them to God, uniting them together as the church. And all of this was accomplished by God alone. It wasn't accomplished through our efforts so that we receive Him by faith through grace. And in light of Jesus redeeming, In saving us, Paul is concerned with showing us, his people, his church, how to live in a way that is pleasing to God. And within the framework of instructing Christians how to please God with our very lives, Paul turns his focus to the marriage relationship. And in these verses, he just has a special charge for husbands. Now, the culture of the time subjected women, elevated men, But in our text, Paul redefines what it means to be a husband and how to express husbandly authority. In the first words we read, the first piece of instruction that we receive from God's Word today reads, Husbands, love your wives. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Now this is a command issued from God to all husbands everywhere. And while it seems overly simple, while it seems like something where you, you read it and you think, you know what, I got that figured out, no big deal. I know what it means to love somebody. Um, we're not going to pass it over this morning. We're not going to take it for granted this morning. Husbands, you have a responsibility before God to love your wife. The question is, what does God really mean when He commands husbands to love their wives? Well, despite what some of you may hope, it's not just a command limited to physical love. It's much deeper than that. Uh, The verb used in the original language uh, carries this nuance, uh, showing a a genuine interest in her, cherishing her, holding her in warm regard, having this deep well of affection for her. Yet the nuancing of this verb still doesn't get us to the bottom of what is meant here. To take the implications of that phrase, husbands love your wives, and to state them negatively, 
We know that husbands, therefore, are not to abuse their wives or take advantage of them or to be hard, calloused, or cruel toward them or to be apathetic or indifferent toward them. But this still doesn't get us to the bottom of what is really meant here. Culture will not tell us what this means. Love in our culture means many different things to many different people. In our culture, we oftentimes overuse the word love. Uh, If you're talking to me about sports, I'm one of the worst offenders. I'll say, yeah, I love the Sox, I love the Pats, love the Bruins. If you ask me what I ate for lunch, say, oh, I had a sandwich from this place. I loved it. It was so good. Just really overusing this word in shallow ways. But while we overuse the word in culture, we know in relationships we misuse the word love. We confuse love with lust. Oftentimes we tell someone we love them as a response to physical intimacy, not because you actually love the person. So what does love mean? Well, truthfully, love as used here is just a much bigger, more loaded word than we might suspect. So what does God mean when He commands husbands to love their wives? Well, we derive our understanding of love from the Bible. And it's great that Paul doesn't just command husbands, go love your wives, but then he gives you an example for it. And we immediately see that Jesus, Jesus Christ, is our example for love. And husbands are told to love their wives. Jesus is our example of love. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. What a statement, guys. If you want to understand the type of love that a husband is charged to express towards his wife, look no further than Jesus Christ. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? We know from the overall narrative of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, that Christ's love for the church is covenantal. Now, Scripture tells us that after the fall, after Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, sin is introduced into our nature. Uh, That's why Paul is able to write in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All of us were sinners. We're dead in our sin. We're enslaved by our sin. And in response, God made a loving covenantal promise to redeem His people by grace. Now a covenant is a promise. It's an agreement. and It establishes this relationship between two parties. Uh, It's a relationship of commitment and responsibility. And the vertical covenant between God and His church is an example of the horizontal covenant between a man and his wife. So even way back in Genesis, God has the church in mind. He has a plan to lovingly and covenantally promise to to redeem her from her sin. That's why in Genesis 12, right before uh, God makes this covenant with His servant Abraham, we read in Genesis 12, 1-3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God has some promises that He's making to His servant Abram. 
He's promised to make his name great. He's promised to produce his great nation from him. All for the purpose that he would be a blessing. That the rest of the world, including us, the church, would receive this great blessing as a, as a fulfillment of the, the covenantal promise that he first made to Abraham. So God has a redemptive plan to love and to save his people. He will make a covenant, a promise with Abram. He will make a great nation of him, this nation of Israel, this chosen, set-apart people. And through them, he would bless the world. And what happens? God blesses Abraham. The nation of Israel is birthed through his seed. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, is incarnated as an Israelite of those chosen people in the universal church. All Christians everywhere including you and me, are blessed, redeemed, justified through faith, by grace, set free from our sin. Jesus made a promise to Abraham that He would bless him. And through Abraham, the nation of Israel came, and through the nation of Israel, the Savior. And us as the church have received the blessing of Christ. But it all started with a covenant. It all started with a promise. So Jesus' love for His bride, Jesus' love for His church isn't just some fleeting emotion like something we would experience. It's not, some, it's not based upon some vain sentiment. It's more, it's deeper. It's founded in a promise, a covenantal choice that God has made to His bride. It's a dedicated decision that He made and that He would keep to love her. And now as the church, as people who have repented of sin, people who have placed real, true, saving faith in Jesus, we can have confidence in Christ. We can hold fast to our faith, not because of our own efforts, not because we have to do something to maintain His love towards us, not because we have to do something to warrant His positive feeling towards us, but because He made a promise and He will keep it and He is faithful. That's why Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because He who promised is faithful. So men, if you want to be a godly husband, if you want to be the husband that God has called you to be, know that loving your wife means more than maintaining some sort of emotional feeling. It means making a covenantal promise to love her and it means keeping that promise as Jesus Christ has kept His promise to you. So fellas, when you wake up on those days and you're just in a bad mood and you aren't filled with all the emotion and the excitement of that wonderful day that you took your bride and you just feel like doing your own thing and you're cranky and crabby and feeling overworked, guess what? You made a promise to love your wife. God commands you to still love your wife. Why? Because your love is based on a promise, a covenant that you made with her. It's a choice to honor her as your bride. And that choice is deeper and more meaningful than the way you were feeling. Husbands are charged to love their wives. So yes, Christ's love for the church is, uh, is an example to husbands and it's covenantal, but the text has so much more to say about Loving your wife. We also see that Jesus' love is a sacrificial love. And what does that mean, sacrificial love? Well, the text is going to unpack 
that whole thing. That Jesus' love for his bride is sacrificial. And we're just going to unpack that whole thing. And the first thing we see is that Jesus' sacrificial love includes his willingness to die on her behalf. To die for his bride. And by bride, we're referring to the church. It's this analogy of Christ in the church that's so loaded and at the center of Paul's instructions to husbands here. So we read in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself and gave himself up for her. Now this verb, which is uh, translated into English, gave up, means that Christ willingly delivered himself over to death. Uh, it's the same verb that's used in Matthew 26, verse 2, when uh, Christ is uh, looking forward to going to the cross and we read, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. It's the same verb that's used in Romans 8.32 which reads, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? It's the same verb that's used in Galatians 2.20 which says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is uh, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Christ's love for His bride was so extreme that He willingly delivered Himself over to death on her behalf. You see, He knew her greatest enemy was nothing of this temporal world. Her greatest enemy, her greatest adversary was sin and death. And He didn't just let her sit there in death. He did what He needed to do to deliver her from that, which meant Him going to the cross. His concern was for her salvation over and against His own physical well-being. He endured anguish on the cross for her. He willingly died for her. What a statement of sacrificial love. Men, Christ is your example. The, The text is clear of that. So let me ask, is your love for your wife sacrificial? Are you so concerned with her well-being that you are making sacrifices for her? Husbands are charged to love their wives. Well, our text has even more to say about what sacrificial love is. And we also see that Jesus' sacrificial love includes His caring about His bride's sanctification. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Why did Jesus sacrificially die for the church? Why did he willingly deliver himself over to death for her? Well, the little conjunction there, that little word that, introduces Jesus' purpose for delivering himself over, for giving himself up to death. He gave himself up for the purpose that his bride might be sanctified. And to be sanctified means to be set apart. That his bride might be included in the inner circle of what is, inclu- what is considered holy. Set apart from her sinful past identity. Set apart from the sinful world she lives in. Uh, uh, welcomed into this new life of holiness that Christ alone provides for her. So husbands, your wife's sanctification is a work of Christ. It's a reality that Jesus alone 
purchases and secures. You can never do that for her. But you can and should do everything in your power to guide your wife to be set apart from the world. Everything in your power that she might become increasingly sanctified. Increasingly Christ-like. Now the text also says that thanks to Jesus, the church is sanctified, having cleansed. Verse 26. That He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Now the term having cleansed was uh, used in antiquity um, to describe, to refer to clearing a building site of unwanted debris, uh, pruning a plant of dead or harmful branches or dead trees or leaves or whatever, sifting grain. Uh, it was used also in, in describing ritual cleansing. So here in this text, having cleansed is referring to Christ clearing away the debris of sin from His bride, the church. Pruning the church of its sin. Sifting away the sin from the heart of the church. Cleansing the church from sin. And how has this cleansing happened? Well, we've talked about how Christ died to accomplish this reality for her. And then the text says that this cleansing took place by the washing of water with the Word. Now, many interpreters uh, interpret that phrase uh, by the washing of water with the Word, saying that it refers to baptism. Uh, in my study, uh, I, I did a lot of studying about it, and, and based upon my study, I believe this phrase refers to a spiritual washing that speaks to the cleansing power of the Gospel, the Word. She was washed with the Word. That the church has been washed with the Word. Uh, the preaching of the Gospel, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection Uh, pays the penalty for our sins and redeems those uh, who place saving faith in Jesus. So Christ died to sanctify the church, to set her apart for holiness by cleansing her with a washing in the Gospel. Men, if Christ is your example, and this is His Word, and His great love for the church drove Him to cleanse her by washing her in gospel truth, are you feeling? Are you feeling a conviction to work through the gospel with your wives? To repeatedly point her to the gospel, to talk about the gospel with her, to pray through the gospel together, to work out the implications of the gospel in your marriage, to apply the gospel together. I certainly hope so. Husbands are charged to love like Jesus. So Jesus' sacrificial love, as Paul unpacks for us here, uh, includes His willingness to die for His wife. It includes His caring and working for her sanctification and her cleansing. But the text goes on to show us that Jesus' love also includes His great desire for her Purity. Jesus' sacrificial love includes his great desire for her purity. Verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What a picture. 
Here we have another little conjunction that starts off the verse, so that, which is also important. It's going to show us the purpose for why he's sanctifying her now. We know that Jesus has given himself up for the purpose of sanctifying his bride, the church. And now we read that the purpose, his purpose for sanctifying her, is that he might present her to himself in splendor. If you want to know something that's important to Jesus Christ, look at this verse. He wants his bride. He cares for his bride. He wants her to be able to stand before him, to stand before the holy, righteous God of the universe in splendor. And splendor means brilliance, radiance, dazzling beauty, purity. Just as the young bride radiates and is so beautiful and pure in her white dress, on, on that wonderful wedding day, and she marches down the aisle and takes her husband. So the church, which was once ugly and stained and marred by her own sin, is now dazzling and radiantly beautiful and pure and holy and without blemish. And she is so because Jesus has given His life for her and He has washed her in the Word And now she's dazzling because Christ, her loving husband, made her so. His love for her meant working to achieve her splendor. Jesus did everything possible. Jesus did everything necessary to bring about the purity and the salvation of His bride, the church. Husbands, like Christ, are you working hard for your wife's purity? Are you shepherding and protecting her? Are you walking in the faith with her? Are you leading her far from sin? Or are you leading her deeper into sin? Are you actively guiding her to the Lord? Important questions to consider. And As I ask these questions, it's it's my prayer um, that you would would hear them as I have worked through them in my own heart this week um, to to really think about them, to, to prayerfully consider them and listen to what God is telling you. Husbands are charged to love like Jesus. Well, as we continue to unpack what it means to be a sacrificial lover of your wife, uh, the text has more to say. And we read that Jesus' sacrificial love also includes His causing His wife to flourish, His bride to flourish. Verses 28-30. to In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now Paul is restating his whole argument here. He's saying believers are members of Christ's body, and Christ cares for them in the same way that one would care for his own body. And in the same way that Christ loves his body, the church, husbands love your wives in the same way. Uh, It's clear that when Paul says in verse 28, in the same way husbands should, should love their wives as their own bodies, that he's conveying this sense of obligation. That men, you have a responsibility, you have an obligation to love your wife in this way. And the obligation includes recognizing that you're one flesh with her. uh, And as such, husbands ought not to hate their wives, the text says, but instead nourish them and cherish them just as Christ does the church. It's a call for husbands to strive that their wives might flourish. 
The terms here, nourish and cherish, are describing the husband's role in taking care of their wives emotionally and physically. Men, you have a responsibility to provide the physical and emotional support that your wife needs. Nourish and cherish your wife as Christ has nourished and cherished the church. Um, So as we've been exploring, husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ has loved His bride, the church. And if you're like me, you may be looking closely at this text and just feel really overwhelmed and uh, really inadequate. Um, So let me give you an example of of someone that I know who I think does uh, a really good job following Christ in the way that he loves his wife. Uh, And hopefully this will be helpful. So I have this friend. His name is Michael. Um, Michael has a wife. Michael has two kids, and his wife's actually pregnant with their third kid right now. Um, so he's got a lot going on. Mike is a, is a full-time seminary student, so he's in grad school. He also works. He uh, serves the Lord, and he uh, ministers to his family. Um, by no means is Mike perfect. He is not perfect. He's not a perfect husband. He's not a perfect man. But he's committed to loving his wife as Christ has loved the church the very best he can. And here's what it looks like for him. Michael loves his wife by sacrificing his time and his preferences. He knows that time with his family is important to his wife. It's important to God. He's got a crazy busy schedule. He's got tons to do, more to do every day than time in the day that there is to do it. Um, but in spite of all that, he, uh, his demanding schedule, in spite of all that, he gives them, he gives his wife his evenings every night, which means he wakes up at 5 a.m. every morning to study and to get some work done. Um, It also means that he doesn't waste time sitting on the couch watching TV for hours on end. It also means that he's not constantly going out with his buddies. It also means that he's not willing to refuse uh, going out to see the big game when the big game comes along. Because his wife deserves his attention and he wants to love her like Christ. And while he loves his wife and he loves his family, I'm sure it's not always his preference to start his day that early or to give up some of these other things, but these are sacrifices, practical, real-life, application-type sacrifices that he gladly makes for his wife. So Michael also loves his wife by leading her spiritually. He's involved in how she's doing in the Lord. He prays with her. He asks her how her own prayer life is. He asks what she's struggling with, wants to know what she's being tempted by so he can be accountability for her. He reads Scripture with her. He asks what the Lord is doing in her heart as she spends time in Scripture personally. He does the best he can to steer her and to encourage her ever closer to Jesus Christ. He leads her spiritually. He also loves his wife by supporting her emotionally. Life has many challenges. We all deal with ups and downs and struggles. They're in a season right now where they're super busy. Um, He's got demanding coursework at school and work and everything else, and uh, it's really tough on the wives. I know because I was just in that season of life, and my wife had to endure all sorts of challenges because of it. Uh, So that's where they are. Yeah, Michael's there for his wife. He talks to her. He asks her questions. He listens to her. She doesn't need to go to other people to receive the understanding and the empathy 
and the tender touch. He does not outsource that responsibility to someone else. He embraces it. So Michael also loves his wife by meeting her physical needs. If the family needs money, he works more hours. If his wife is physically exhausted, he's willing to take the kids. He's willing to do housework so that she can have some time off to rest. He's aware of what she needs. He asks her what she needs. And then he relies on the Lord, works hard to provide them. Michael also loves his wife, and this is really important, by not, by not sacrificing his own time with the Lord. Yes, he's doing these other things, but he doesn't do them at the expense of his own time with God. He knows that his wife has benefited from him having a robust and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. That when he's connected to God, he's a better husband, he's a better father. So he doesn't cheat his wife by neglecting his own relationship with Christ. And that's just a small snapshot of my friend Michael, how it looks for him as he tries to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Uh, he's not perfect, but he's, he's doing his best. And um, as we mentioned when the sermon series began, uh, it may look different for you. It may look different for your family. If you're looking towards marriage in the future, it may look different. Um, follow the principle, not the practice. It may not shake out with all the same details, but um, that's one example of how all of this practically might look. But that's Michael's story. So husbands, what is yours? Are you loving your wife as Jesus has loved His church? Are you sacrificing for her? Are you putting your needs, her needs, before your own? Are you putting off your preferences to serve her? Are you actively encouraging her purity and holiness and sanctification? Are you passionately concerned with her flourishing as God's child, spiritually, physically, emotionally? Are you loving her covenantally and sacrificially? And I don't ask these questions naively. Um, I know it's hard. And I don't ask these questions as someone who's figured it out. By no means. As a married man, I struggle with this stuff. And it feels like I fail more times than I uh, claim victory. So I'm with you if you're feeling that way. But let's just be reminded of our high calling today. Um, So we asked a question when we began. How do husbands honor Jesus and their wife by being this godly, godly husband, this godly lover of their wives? And I think we've received our answer by working through the text. That Jesus so loved the church that He sacrificed Himself for her. And He sacrificed Himself for her to set her apart as holy. And He set His bride apart that she might stand before Him in purity and splendor so that she might flourish as His bride. Husbands, this is how you are to love your wife. Husbands are charged to love like Jesus. Well, God's word makes it clear that husbands are charged to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And like I said, if you're anything like me, maybe you see Christ's amazing example of love and you're immediately convicted of your failures, your shortcomings. And uh, rather than being uh, strengthened and encouraged by this text, maybe you're almost a little discouraged. Um, well, if you had to rely on your own strength to be this godly husband, you'd have good reason to be discouraged. But thankfully, 
Um, Jesus isn't just our example for love. Jesus is also our empowerment. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read verses 20 to 22. 20 to 21, I'm sorry. Hebrews 13. Starting in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do as well, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this text is a benediction that closes the letter of Hebrews. It's a closing prayer from the writer to his readers. Uh, And the benediction acknowledges that God through Jesus is the one who equips us. The one he's also the one who overcame death. He's the one who engrafts us into God's family, who frees us from sin, who enables us to please God with our lives. And the purpose of this equipping is that we might be able to do God's will. And I want to let this, this passage, be our closing prayer together also. So rather than appealing to our own strength to be these godly husbands, to have these godly marriages, let's appeal to God. The one true God, the living God of the universe, the same God as the text says that raised Jesus from the dead, exercised all that power in doing so, that He might equip us with everything good so that we can do His will. Working in us things that are pleasing to Him. All of this accomplished through Jesus Christ for His glory. Husbands, you can't be the sacrificial lover of your wife that the text tells you to be in your own strength. Instead, your empowerment, your equipping for this noble, noble task of loving your wife as Jesus loved the church is also founded in Christ. So, in many ways, the title of the sermon series, A Gospel-Centered Marriage, is just so perfect. Because the Gospel of Jesus Christ is your example also your empowerment. Only when the gospel is central in your heart can you be the husband God has called you to be. And only when the gospel is central in your marriage will your marriage be the beautiful union that God designed and is pleased with. So love Jesus and love like Jesus. So single men and women, love Jesus and love like Jesus as you continue to develop a biblical understanding of what marriage is and as you grow in your ability to minister to your community. Ladies who might be uh, dating or engaged or thinking about that in the future, select a man that loves Jesus and loves like Jesus without sacrificing that high standard. If he loves Jesus, he knows the perfect example of sacrificial love, but he's also connected to a source of empowerment and is being equipped to love and to lead you well. Guys who are dating or engaged or thinking about that down the road in the future, love Jesus and love like Jesus so you are prepared to be this godly husband to love your wife as Christ loves the church when God calls you to marriage. 
Wives, please, please, please pray for your husbands. Pray for your husbands and encourage them as they strive but also struggle to love you like Christ. And husbands, love Jesus, love like Jesus, since you have been given this tremendous obligation, calling, responsibility, and privilege to love your wife as Jesus has loved his church. So love Jesus and love like Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for your word today. Will you, the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, would you please, Lord, equip us with everything good that we may do your will, working in us things which are pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Please help us, Lord, as we strive to live the lives that honor you. We love you dearly. We need you even more. Please, Lord, be with us. In Christ's name, amen.